from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. I'm really excited to release this episode again on Christmas break and our practices over Christmas break and how valuable they can be as we get into the stretch run of the seasons. At this time, most teams are, what, 25, a third of the way through their season, but you're getting ready to heat up. You're getting into really consistent conference play. Obviously, you want to gear up for a stretch run in the state tournament, and you don't want to take steps backward. You want to continue to move forward. What I share in this episode is going to run counter to probably what a lot of coaches are uh, doing and hearing. And I think that's the benefit of having a podcast. I think that's, you know, a, a good thing is, you know, if, if you're everybody you talk to is all saying the same thing, there's probably something different that could be to your advantage. And so I hope as you listen to this, that, you know, you're probably nodding your head, nodding your head, nodding your head. And then you hear something you're like, mm, man, I don't know about that. I, I hope this gets you thinking. Um, and I'm not asking you to agree with everything that, that I'm saying at all. Um, but to, to just hit on, you know, one thing, I think a, a lot of coaches and, and friends of mine, you know, shorten their practices, even at this point in the season, you know, when you're not even halfway through a season, you're shortening your practices. And I think that's a mistake for the majority of coaches, not all, but for the majority of coaches, um, you know, unless you have a team that is playing basketball, majority of players are already playing basketball year round. That would make sense. Um, if you're, you know, really running at a high level and you want to save some legs, I, I can understand that a little bit. But for the majority of basketball teams around the United States, uh, I don't think you're good enough to shorten your practices. I think that you need to get better at basketball. And how do you get better at basketball? You play it. And when's the majority of time that you play basketball throughout the course of the season? It's in practice. Uh, so I think teams need to stay consistent with their practice time for a longer period of time, uh, unless you're in one of those specific situations. Um, and obviously there are certain times where you can shorten your practice or uh, make things not as intense, but you can still make, maybe get more shots up throughout uh, a shooting practice and, you know, there's less, you know, contact throughout. That's a good way to keep your practices getting better with your skill development, um, but still you're staying out on the court. There's um, a lot of programs that we work with that have a lot of multi-sport athletes. And so if if you only have your kids playing basketball for a few months and then you shorten your practices while they are playing basketball, I don't think you can expect them to really be high level with their ball handling and their finishing and they're shooting and, and generally basketball decision-making um, because they're not in a position to perform decisions of playing basketball because they're not playing summer ball. They're not playing spring AAU basketball. They're not playing in a fall league. They're not going to a basketball trainer like this. This is it. It's, it's basketball season. And then you cut that time out. I think that's going to hurt them. So uh, in this episode, we talk about a ton of different things, but that's just been on my heart. It's just been on my heart. Uh, and so I wanted to share that as well. So um, 
let's get to the episode. This is a throwback episode with my brother, Taylor Kramer, as uh, he we had some conversations about some of our experiences over Christmas break and how they helped, you know, even in high school, as we share some examples, how they helped us become, you know, when he was playing, I was playing one of the better teams um, at the small school level in the state of Michigan. So uh, thank you for checking this episode out. Let's get to the show. All right. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the Coach's Edge podcast. If my voice sounds a little strange to you, uh, it's because this is my first time on the show. And um, I'm Taylor Kramer. I'm Steve Kramer, Coach Kramer's younger brother. And I have been on many, many podcasts before, but this is my first time on this specific show. And so what we're going to try to talk about today is uh, to really tee up some conversation for Steve and asking and talking about Christmas break and how teams can separate themselves and maybe what Christmas break has looked like practice wise um, for us in the past, as well as uh, what it could look like for you as a coach. And so, um, Steve, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to kind of help you navigate this discussion. Thank you. I mean, the stuff that you do as a podcast host with Cold Shower is above and beyond even what we're doing with the Coach's Edge and the Coach's Edge podcast is is pretty special. So um, it's awesome to have you on here and have this conversation. And it's a conversation that actually we've we've had with each other a handful of times. It seems like every time Christmas comes around, honestly, um, of what those practices can look like over Christmas break. So even though you haven't been on the pod, um, you're a person that we talk hoop with all the time. You're exactly right. And we do often revisit what our Christmas break experience was like as for me as a player um, and for you too. And I think that our high school really approached Christmas break in in a unique way, and mm-hmm. but I think in a valuable way. It, it was always a, a time, a, a one or two week period where I felt like it was gut check time. We had seen enough things in the first couple of games leading into Christmas break. And our teams uh, rarely, if ever, played in any holiday tournaments. And so it was strictly a week or two of practice and really fleshing out a lot of the things to to hit the, the home stretch of the season after that. And so um, the way our schedule was set out is that we didn't really play any conference games before Christmas break, but that was always what we had to figure out is how are we going to approach conference play? What type of team are we going to be in conference play? And so can you talk a little bit about that as well? How do we get prepared for that? Yeah. So the, the way I look at it is you have say 20, 22 games for a high school program. And the majority of the coaches that I work with, they don't have a lot of games over Christmas break either, if any. So you've had, this small package of games that you can look at before you hit Christmas break. And now we have about two weeks to work with to really fine tune or change some things, which is really what this whole podcast is about, are are making the necessary tweaks so that when January hits, we can hit the ground running. So the, the questions that I want you to ask and the list that I have right here, number one is right. What you mentioned, ask yourself as a program, what do you need to implement before you get into conference play? Chances are you've played non-conference games leading up to Christmas break, maybe one or two conference games in there, depending on your, your conference. But what is something that needs to be implemented before we get into conference play? That's a really, really big one. The second one is what types of skills and fundamentals need to be re-emphasized. It's easy for us 
to have a vision for what we want to do with our program. And then we get into those games and then it becomes almost like damage control where everything is very much, okay, next game preparation, this is what we have to do. And it's easy for us to lose sight of some of those big picture skills and fundamentals that we know you may not see the result from with that next game that's coming up. But the compound effect of doing that for months at a time is going to help make you a better team at the end of February, end of March, when you're playing those most important, vital games of the season. So ask yourself again, what skills and fundamentals need to be emphasized? So those are my first two off of this list. As a team, as a program, what's something that needs to be implemented? And two, what skills and fundamentals need to be reemphasized? Yeah, those are a great first two. And I'm thinking back to uh, my time playing high school ball and, and our coach, Coach Gainforth, I think was a, a master, an absolute master at leveraging the two weeks of Christmas break and leading to success. And there was even a period um, during my high school career in which I think we were seven and zero heading into Christmas break or five and zero or undefeated. Things were looking um, really, really good. And then as you start to watch how coaches approaching these practices, figuring out you know, the things that need to be impl- implemented, um, emphasizing things that you really want to be a building block moving forward into the season. And those, those are when things got really interesting. I mean, he, he really emphasized defense, obviously. And so when you have two weeks and you're not having to scout a specific team, you might spend a full two, two and a half hour practice on just defense. And, or maybe it's really trying to fine tune your sets at the end of break. And so you might spend 75% of a, a single practice on running your sets. And so emphasis definitely comes to mind in terms of the approach that I was familiar with. 100%. I couldn't agree more. It's a great time to concentrate on you, your team, your program when you don't have those games. It's almost like a mini preseason after you've already had some games and you can kind of see where you're at compared to some of the other schools that you're playing. The next one that I wanted to mention is sometimes after we've played four or five games, you realize, do I need to make some big time changes with our lineup? You have enough of a sample size that you can get a feel for the needs and the strengths and weaknesses of your team. So this is the time where we can decide, you know what, somebody else needs to be starting. Somebody else needs to be getting more minutes. There is a a fringe player, and unfortunately, we're going to have to have some tough conversations because they were playing 10 minutes, and I don't know if they're going to play once conference games start. Or maybe you're a little more of a high-powered program, and you've been having some games where, hey, you're playing 10 players. But realistically, when you get into harder competition, you're getting into conference play, maybe you're going from a rotation of 10 to a rotation of seven and a half. Well, that means there's going to be some tough conversations that are going to happen. These are big changes. And anytime you make a big change, it's nice to have a little bit more time to work with. And Christmas break can be some of those work times to do that. And as I've probably mentioned before, with uh, a team that we were coaching back when I was uh, an assistant at USA and we didn't make this change until we were all the way in in districts. But if you can see earlier a change that you need to make where it's like, you know what, this player was playing 20 minutes a game. Now they're going to play five, right? 
this player was playing five. Now they're going to play 20 because we're going with uh, a guard perimeter oriented lineup. And before we were going with a bigger, more rebounding physical type lineup. This is a good time to evaluate your team after these games and see what big time changes with your lineup need to be made. Hopefully there's no changes that need to be made. But if you you're think something's going to happen, now's a good time to do it, which goes into my fourth one, which is, are there any whole full-scale changes that need to be made? And I'm not talking lineups. I'm not talking personnel. I'm talking your strategy, your style for what this season has looked like. You came into the season with this plan in place for how your team was going to play. And after four or five games before Christmas break, you may be one of the teams that's like, this is not working. We decided that we were going to be a two, three zone team. It is not working. We need to start playing man as our primary defense. These are big changes within your team based on some of the things you did in the preseason and some of the things that you've done early in the season with those games. But a change needs to be made in order for you to be your best. It's really, really difficult to do that when you have two or three games in a week. You have the break now. It's time to, unfortunately, throw a lot of things out and start to really put in essentially this mini preseason of what we're going to be playing like moving forward. This mm-hmm. could also be an offensive thing, right? Maybe you're maybe you're running more of a dribble drive offense. Like we just don't have the players that can make some of those reads and driving off of the dribble and decide when to keep going, when to pull it back, when to kick it out, when to shoot it. Maybe we need to start running something that's more like a flex, right? Where it's just passing, cutting, more ball movement, less dribble drive. Those are big wholesale changes. Now's a good time to do that. Again, hopefully you're not in the position where you feel like you need to do this, but now's the time if there is a time. Yeah, I can I can think back to my experience and I, I, I had seen it both ways where when we're talking about wholesale changes where sometimes you're walking into those first couple of practices of Christmas break. And as a player, especially in our program, you're constantly trying to predict what are the practices going to be like. Practices were always harder than games for us. And so um, we focused on an intense physicality and speed and aggression while also trying to minimize turnovers. And that can be a really tough combination. We see that with Michigan State all the time, right? They're trying to do multiple things and they don't necessarily go hand in hand super easily. And there were times where there was wholesale changes, but then there was other times where Christmas break was just simply a reinforcement of the things that had already worked well and just making sure that what has gone well we can really nail down and continue, continue it on. So I've, I've certainly seen it both ways. And I've even seen it where the first week of Christmas break, you can see coach standing in the corner of the gym by himself, kind of, kind of looking around, trying to figure out what am I going to do? And then the second week of break looks totally different because he changed his mind and he set his mind on something else that's going to lead to success. And so he wasn't married to any specific idea necessarily um, and, and was open to wholesale changes or just reinforcing what's worked well. And you also remind me of uh, a good example of some of those somewhat big changes. This would be a little more of a, a personnel change that I can share as well. And maybe you're a coach listening and you have a player or some personnel like this. Maybe you start to do this as well. My whole career growing up, I played the point guard. 
my senior year, coach decides, coach, coach Gainforth, that I'm going to play the wing. And so we had one of the best three-point shooters in Michigan history, Matt Kitchen. I'm not gassing him up. He has like five state records <laughs> and myself. And we were both 6'2", 6'3", guards. He could shoot the lights out. I was a little more variety of being able to shoot, handle, do some different things. And so from coach's perspective, he was like, okay, if we got Matt on one wing and we got Steve on the other wing, and then we got our point guard who's bringing the basketball up and able to get the basketball to these guys, essentially the court is going to be spread because guys can't help and really push to one side defensively because the player on the other side is also so dangerous. Right. So we're just stretching the defense because we're putting two really, really dangerous players on opposite sides of the court. So we tried this my senior year playing X amount of games. I don't know. Before Christmas break. And we had let's see, we'd lost a game. We'd won a game at the buzzer. We'd have some close games. And regardless of what we did, we were going to win the majority of our games. Right. So you may not see. A, a big change. But after that, he said, you know what, we're going to put Steve back at the point because he's the best passer on the team and he's the best ball handler on the team. And so to put him up top is going to allow him to be able to create for everybody else on the court, even if that means he's not going to have the basketball on the wing and scoring positions as much as possible. And I give our coaches a lot of credit. And it was a sacrifice for all of us. I would have averaged more points in high school if I was playing off the ball. So I could catch and shoot it. I was good off a triple threat. I would have had more points there. But our team was better if I was playing the point. And so that was a, a big change. Now, sure, the whole time, if I got the rebound, could I just bring it up? Absolutely. But the change that we made was Steve's always getting the outlet pass. If the other team scores, Steve's getting the inbounds, and he's the one that's bringing it up every time. And so from a conceptual standpoint, it made a lot of sense what coach wanted to, to implement. But after we played some games, it was really just kind of looking back at it and say, you know what, each possession isn't going as smoothly as it could because we don't have our best ball handler passer with the basketball in his hands every single time. And you might be able to make some things. So the, the stuff I'm saying 100% happened. We had an unbelievable team, one of the best in school history. We win a regional championship. Very few times that's ever happened. And I think before Christmas break, I was averaging close to 30 points a game, right? I was probably at, like, I don't know, 25, 26. I, I couldn't tell you. I was averaging a lot, right? I think I finished the season averaging like 18, 19 points a game. Scoring average, boom, totally dropped. Were we a much better team? Absolutely. And, it, and I thought it was the best decision to make. So I probably talked too, too long about myself because I get excited. I think it's a good, a good example for us uh, as coaches moving forward. If you have some players like that, and I'm personally, I'm always partial to, especially at the high school level, because there's such a difference even between your best player and your fourth or fifth best player on a high school basketball team. How often can we put the basketball in the hands of your better player, or your better decision maker, and just let them run the show? I'd rather lose because maybe they had the ball a little too much than lose because they didn't have it enough. 
Yeah, and I think that um, USA teams after you were gone benefited from uh, Gainforce kind of change in that ideology where he was he had enough humility to, to make that change because then you saw even just a couple of years after you, Jordan Bitzer, who's one of the best players ever to come out of um, the thumb and was a standout at Central Michigan. He was one of the best rebounders, not just for a guard, but just flat out one of the best rebounders in the area. And so if he was getting 10 to 12 rebounds a game, it made sense for him to snatch that ball and just go. And that's what made it so effective too, is that, is that he didn't have to give that ball up to anybody else. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense to be able to get the basketball with, with your best players hands if they can handle. And maybe that means they're not going to get as many shots up or as many shots up in positions that they normally would like. Uh, but if it's for the betterment of the group, it's a, it's a good thing to do. A couple other things I wanted to share that I think may seem small, and they're not. I think that these first four that I listed are, are pretty big as far as some of the changes that you might, might make. But some of the other ones that I think are vital are something as basic as your conditioning after Christmas break. Kids are staying up late, not getting enough sleep over Christmas. Like you think they're sleeping in. Well, depending on what time you have practice, you know they're staying up later, right? Watching movies, hanging out with their friends, whatever that, that might be. So chances are they could be getting less sleep over Christmas break than they normally are during the school year. So that's going to drag them a little bit. So we have to emphasize that they're probably eating more junk food and not drinking as much water as they should. We got to think about that, mention that to our kids. And then because of the holiday season, you're probably not going to practice five or six days a week between practices and games this time of year, you're probably only going to get in, say, four practices one week, and then the next week, you got another four practices. So your players can get out of shape. And I've seen, and we've been a part of this as, as players, I've been a part of this as coaches, where you play that first game after Christmas break, kids are gassed. Kids are, kids are just like <gasps> breathing heavier than they should, than they normally would, because their lifestyle changed for a couple of weeks. And because you're like, hey, it's the holidays, but we'll, we'll have some fun at practice and we won't hit the gas as much. You have to hit the gas. You have to hit the gas from a conditioning standpoint of making sure they're getting after because they're not practicing maybe as many days. So maybe that means you go a little longer at some of these practices. Maybe that means you go a little bit harder during some of these practices than you normally would. And then you're emphasizing to them, guys, girls, we have to make sure we're drinking a ton of water right now. We have to stay hydrated. Cut it with the pop, the soda, the Coke, whatever. A lot of water right here. Make sure you're getting your sleep, right? I know you guys want to hang out and stay up late because you don't have school. Make sure you're getting your sleep. Those will be two really good things. And make sure that you're eating healthy food. It is so easy to eat junk over Christmas break. It's everywhere, right? Make sure you prioritize what you're putting into your body so that you feel better, so that you have more energy. And when it's time for those January games, you're in great shape. You can win some games simply because of that. I really believe it. If you come in and play one of those teams that has been out of shape, they've kind of been a little lax and you've been hitting the gas, you may build up enough of a lead, even in the first half, 
you've won this game. You've taken care of business just because of this simple thing. You are in shape. Also, this can come back to bite you. If you lose some of the intensity of your practices over Christmas break, it can be hard to jumpstart it. In January, you want to, you want to re-rolling. And instead, you're going to spend that time trying to get back in a routine. You're literally losing weeks in the season of improvement and progression because you've taken such a step backward. So that's, that's a big one, even though it is extremely simple. You want to talk about that a little bit, because this seems to be the conversation that we have of how much you dreaded Christmas break practices. <laughs> yep. I mean, when you mentioned, you know, that there's teams that maybe kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit, um, take things a little bit easier. Maybe we'll just scrimmage and kind of have some fun here. We have some time to mess around with. That is that was never my experience ever, ever. And I would nearly bet my life that we conditioned more than any team or any coach that's listening to this. Um, it was, it, it was like the scenes from remember the Titans, um, on steroids. That's how crazy it got. I was actually just with, uh, this past weekend with a couple of my friends from high school that were on the team with me. And we were talking about the level of conditioning that we were doing in practice. And my one friend said, yep, even on the weekends when we didn't have practice, I was going out in the snow and running suicides because I was so scared I would get out of shape in those two days. So this is no joke. Those were some of the hardest, not just practices, but like physically demanding days of my life. And that outside of just running sidelines and running suicides, um, we got after each other in the scrimmage. And that could look like a lot of full court pressing, um, followed by the losing team having to run sprints, defensive slides as punishment, um, really just trying to go at each other's throats in these, in these practices. And so that usually by the time Christmas break was done and we were having that first game after break, we were ready for fresh blood because we had beaten each other up so much that we needed to see another team. And it typically wasn't a great result for the other team because we were in such superior condition. And we were also really, really mad because we'd been put through the ringer for two weeks. And so that was my experience. When I see the word to this day conditioning, I still get a tingle in my spine because of how intense our conditioning and our level of that was. You bring up some great points and, you know, looking back and everything that we know about <laughs> athletic development and conditioning, was it a little over the top and too much? I would say, yeah, probably. So but there I. were also, <laughs> but there were also some benefits, I think, from a mental standpoint that are hard to quantify. Like you really can't quantify because you mentioned some of it right here. You build up this mental toughness and you build up some of this camaraderie within your team. You even mentioned you just had a conversation. You were in high school like what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Like, I don't know. So to be able, you're not that old, not 20 years ago, closer to 15, but you build up some of this equity within your team where you have confidence, not only in yourself, but the people next to you, because you look at each other, you're like, we have worked really, really hard together. That game comes around. Not only are you frothing at the mouth for some fresh meat, so to speak, to compete against, but when something difficult happens, in that game and maybe you're playing a good team and the game's hanging within the balance and you look at each other and you look within yourself and you say, I have worked so hard. I have, I've 
been to the point in some of our practices with the intensity where I didn't know if I could go anymore, but I did anyway. There is no way that I'm giving up on this play. I'm taking those extra two steps that I don't feel like to go for this rebound. I am sprinting the floor, those three steps, a little bit harder than my opponent because I've worked so hard in practice. I owe it to myself and my teammates to continue to hit the gas even when I don't feel like it. You can't quantify some of that stuff. So even though the conditioning aspect may have been too much, there's this mental value that uh, we, we really, it's impossible to, to quantify that I think has a lot of uh, results that show in the game through a lot of little different things. And those little things are big things and they lead to, they lead to winning. Um, a couple other ones that I wanted to share. One, it's a great time for some team building, for a guest speaker, for some team bonding exercises. You know, you talk about some of the difficulties of the practices, right, Tay? But I also think of, hey, we got practice and coaches bought pizza for all of us. And we're hanging out and we're having pizza and we're just, you know, having a good time. And, you know, maybe we're watching some game film, but it's, it's a little bit lighter. Things like that that maybe you don't always have time for because of school and the schedule. Do some of those things. Some team bonding is, is key. Maybe you bring in breakfast for the guys or the girls after an early morning practice. Hey, you worked hard. Like, let's, let's have some breakfast together. You bring in a guest speaker. A lot of times that can be a former player. A lot of coaches, you know, if I were to add one to this list that I haven't put down, is bringing in some other people, to, you know, maybe some alumni who just graduated to come in. They're still in good shape. They have respect for the program. Come in and practice a little bit. But just as importantly, to have some people around that those kids respect, that they don't see that often, and to have them talk to the players about what they're trying to do. The seniors mentioning that after this season, the next time you come to a game, you're going to have to buy a ticket to come in. Think about that. Take advantage of this great opportunity. Playing basketball is a privilege. You get to. You don't have to. It is a thing that if you're playing and people are coming and you're winning and they're cheering you on, that's not something that we take for granted. That's not something that is, is given. That's something that we should be thankful for. And so to take advantage of those opportunities. And yes, should we know all those things every single day? Yes, but you know we take advantage for it. But and as a coach, they're hearing your voice every day. So if you can bring someone else in that they know, that they respect, and they can even reiterate some of the things that you've been trying to harp on throughout the course of the year, that can have tremendous value. And I, I can think of numerous times where being a former player coming back, and I think some of the best value that I was able to give to some of our USA teams and players were just little conversations having with guys, you know, a conversation with Jake Holland, who, who went on to play college basketball and a conversation that we had, of just like, this isn't going to last forever. And you have to take advantage of the time and the opportunities that you have. You only get 20 plus games, make the most of it. Um, so that's a, that's a big one, different team bonding. Maybe you go bowling, go to a movie, lots of things that you can do. And a couple other ones to, to finish out. 
this is another one that uh, I think we did a really good job of during my time as a, a player and as, as a coach um, when we were at Unionville Seedling was using Christmas break to improve upon your special situations. It can be difficult to find time when you're prepping for games and the opponents to say, okay, here's the situation. We got eight seconds on the clock. We have to go the length of the court. We're down one and we're in a single bonus. Or, okay, here's a free throw. Other team shooting a free throw and the team that's shooting a free throw, you're down to, you're shooting a one and one and it's a double bonus. Here are the things that we have to make happen, right? Or you're playing some of these real short games. Maybe it's a two minute game. Maybe it's a 30 second game. There's so many little special situations that I know we did as players and, and coaches during that time that I think we were able to fit in over Christmas break and something that we could emphasize and talk about a lot that we just didn't always have as much time for. Did we still do them throughout the course of the year? Yes. We put an extra emphasis on it during Christmas break. I think it was beneficial. Yeah, I'm thinking back to some of the the times that we did that with our team, and there was a lot of what is the situation coming off of a, a defensive rebound off a missed free throw, and you're down by two with a you know 10 seconds left. Who are we going to get the ball to? And then maybe for to to have those situations work out at the end of a scrimmage, sometimes coach is uh, is calling a phantom foul to get a bad free throw shooter at the line. So then the team that he wants to work on that end of game. Um, process is, is going to get that free, that rebound because that, that guy isn't a great free throw shooter and um, just randomly calling out stuff that the point guard and we have to react to is, is all of a sudden, you know, you've been scrimmaging for 15 minutes and there was no clock on. And then all of a sudden coach yells out one minute left tie game. And so you're having to figure out, Oh, okay. So what sets am I going to that? I know I can get a good shot off of um, is, is a lot of, I think in a lot of ways, it's really, really fun. And it's a good way to challenge yourself and challenge your team is what are we comfortable running when, when like it's tight and it's a tight situation. And so I, I do have a lot of memories like that as well. One of my least favorite is when you're scrimmaging, you're not keeping score, but you know, we're up like 10 and then you make a shot. The other team's bringing the basketball up and coach says, all right, next basket wins. And you're like, What? we've been killing these guys for the last 10 minutes. And now what do we do? We're locked in, right? Because we're not saying, ah, we're up 10, like we're going to win. No, next basket wins. We're on defense. We need this stop right here. And so the, the energy, the, the focus level goes way up. That's another example of a little special situation that can be vital. Last thing that I want to add. Phil Beckner, who's really well-known basketball trainer, he's worked with NBA players, so on and so forth. He has a saying, be better, be different. And the way that I look at that is, and I'm not going to try to take, you know, paraphrase his words, but this, this is my view of that. If you are better than the opponent in a certain area, that's something that we really want to emphasize. If we're generally a better man-to-man pressure defense team, that is something that we need to focus on and emphasize so that we can continue to be better than our opponents. But there are also times where flat out, maybe this is a talent thing, a skill level thing because of the team that you have and they're not putting in as, as much work this off season. So they're not quite as skilled of being different. 
if we're all trying to do the same thing, but we know we don't have the skills or the talent or the ability of everybody else that's doing the same thing, we're not going to win. But if we can be different, maybe you say, you know what? There is no team in the conference that plays a one-three-one defense. We're going to start playing a one-three-one defense. And I know this one-three-one defense is not going to be the best one-three-one defense in the world or the state, or there's a lot of work that we have to do, but it's different. And the fact that it's different means it is going to be so much more difficult for everybody else to prepare for. Essentially, that one-three-one defense that you put in is better not because it's a great one, three, one. It's simply, it's better because it is different from what everybody else is seeing. And so I want to ask you as, as a coach, and we, we're in a copycat world, right? We see what other people are doing well, and then we start to, to copy it. And that has tremendous value because we can learn that way. But at the same time, there's tremendous value and upside to being the only team in a conference that plays a certain way it is really difficult with one or two days in between to prepare for a defense or an offense or a press or a trap or a specific zone that you have not seen, or you will only see twice the entire season. And I've been, thankfully, I've been a part of a couple coaching staffs that have defended that way. And I know that was a huge reason for the success of some of the programs that I've been a part of is not just, okay, was this a great, type of defense, it was a different type of defense. And that can help set you apart. Is there something within your program? You're like, you know what? We got a couple of weeks right here. We're going to put something in that is completely different than what everybody else is running. That could be a huge value add to your program. I hear you, man. And even for me, just outside of basketball, I've lived my entire life like that. It's better. I, I've, I've said it multiple times. It, it's uh, It's better to be different than than better. And, um, so I, I love how you, you translated that to the game of basketball, because there was definitely times throughout my career too, where, um, you know, we had our consistent things we could rely on, but then we could flip certain switches and jump to something that it wouldn't work as say a, a core defense necessarily, but it was enough to get the, the other team on its heels. And maybe we could capitalize off a of turnover, um, and whatever that might be. We were never a, a strictly two, three team, two, three zone team, but we had certain things that we could tap into within that zone that could throw a team off after a turnover. And that wasn't a better defense. It was just different and it was unexpected. And so you can leverage those things as a, as a coach and as a player. I love that. And it doesn't have to be to what you just said. It doesn't have to be, this is now our main thing, but being different could be, we've added this new wrinkle. And this goes back into number one. Is there something that you need to implement, get into during conference play. This goes back into the last tip of, of being able to be different. Is there something that, you know what, you play it for five minutes throughout the course of the game, maybe at the end of the first quarter and at the end of the third quarter for two minutes each, this is something that you're going to implement. Well, that four minute stretch could be the difference between winning and losing the game, right? Maybe it's a little longer than that, whatever, whatever you like, it fits kind of the pace of play of your program. That could be a huge difference for you. So those are some of the main things that I think of when I think of Christmas break being the time to separate yourself as a program from the competition. This gets me excited. I know a ton of players and even some coaches, they kind of dread the Christmas break. 
and I think of as a player and as a coach, this was one of the most exciting times that I had as a basketball person because I just looked at it as an opportunity for me to separate myself from another team or from other players that we were going to have to, to go against. I looked at it as, you know what, for two weeks, I'm a pro. I don't have to go to school. I'm just worrying about basketball. And so if I want to stay an extra hour after practice, if I want to uh, do my practice and then I'm going to do the next hour of practice with the JV team, I can do that. If I can come to practice individually and say, you know what, after practice, I'm going to hang out with another guy and we're going to get shots up for a full half hour or whatever it might be. Like I'm a pro, I can do whatever I want during this time. And so it's just a great opportunity for us to be able to see how can we get better, get beyond, continue to evolve as a program. And if you're a coach who's like, you know what, we just got to get through it. I think you're wasting uh, your time and a lot of time that could be used to really separate yourself. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we said it right off the top, right? Where Christmas break, it, um, it's one of those things where you can, you can either use it as an opportunity to attack what you need to get better at or as an opportunity to avoid um, some of those challenges. And so this was a great conversation about Christmas break and what it could look like for coaches. Thanks for, thanks for having me on discussing this stuff. This was fun. This was fun. You did a great job. It's like you have your own podcast or something. You, you're very comfortable behind the mic. So coaches, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Everything that you're doing this time of year, get after it. Let me know if you need anything. Email me, contact at KramerBasketball.com. Reach out to me on Twitter, Steve. 21 Kramer. Love to talk hoop. I'm fired up for the future of the Coach's Edge. Coach's Edge, the podcast. Coach'sEdge.coach, our website and how we're serving coaches around the country. Every day is an opportunity to learn and grow and Christmas break is no different. So thank you for listening. As always, get after today.